This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians from the AVMA PLIT and equimanagement.com. Hello and welcome to Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour, where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Bonnie Barr, a shareholder in Rudin-Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. Dr. Barr graduated from the Pennsylvania State University in 1991. She earned her veterinary degree at the University of Pennsylvania in 1997, then completed a one-year internship at Rudin-Riddle Equine Hospital and a two-year internal medicine residency at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center. Barr was a staff member for one year at Texas A&M University before rejoining Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital in 2001. She became boarded in internal medicine in 2003, and in 2014, she became a shareholder in the practice. Her areas of special interest include equine neonatology, equine infectious diseases, and infectious disease control. Dr. Barr is also the co-author of Equine Pediatrics. Thank you, Dr. Barr, for joining us today to talk about common neonatal problems. You're welcome. Let's just jump right in and look at the topic of neonatal sepsis. Yeah, neonatal sepsis is, um, you know, one of the leading causes of death in actually human neonates and in the neonates that, that we, we we will work on, so the equine neonates. Um, and basically, you know, sepsis is just a systemic um, response to infection. Um, and you know it can it, it oftentimes these um, foals when they um, become septic um, and they will die it's usually within the first week week of life um, it um, can be like I said a, a really significant systemic reaction to infection or it just might be something that localizes in maybe a joint or in the lungs um, the foals that we consider that might be more predisposed mm-hmm. to becoming septic are those that have some type of, um, uh, the mare had some type of pre-existing problem prior to foaling. Um, the foal may have some uh, a difficult foaling. Um, the foal may have some other problems like a musculoskeletal problem, can't get up, can't move around. So those are the foals that, that we think are you know more predisposed to um, being septic. Um, ways that a foal can become septic. Lots of people think, oh, the belly button, the umbilicus is the most common route, but actually it's not. It's more the, the gastrointestinal tract. That is the most important. Um, if, you, if you think about it, when a foal was born, um, their gastrointestinal tract, um, for kind of a uh, lack of a better term, is kind of open so that it, um, it can absorb more of the colostral antibodies, but that also... Um, leads them to be able to absorb pretty much anything that a foal comes in contact with is, with in its environment, inc- including bacteria. Um, so, you know, that's what we think, is, what we believe is the most common route of um, entry of a, of a pathogen. Um, then also the respiratory tract and the umbilicus does play a part also. Um, and then also those foals that may have um, uh, some type of in, in, in utero um, infection, possibly secondary, you know, to, to a placentitis. Um, 
you know, bacteria. We all think of sepsis. We think of bacteria, and that those are the most common causes of uh, uh, sepsis. And usually, it's kind of a, a uh, half and half what we call gram-negative bacteria and gram-positive bacteria. Uh, that's one of the reasons why when we are treating these in, um, foals for septus or what we presume is that they're septic is our treatment will be a broad spectrum of antibiotics. We want to cover both um, ends of the, the, the spectrum. Um, viruses also can cause foals to be um, septic, and every once in a while you'll have maybe a fungal um, like a candida organism that can result in, in, in sepsis. Um, like I said earlier, they, it can be a generalized infection um, or it can also be something that, you know, can localize in the lungs, in, in a joint, or even, you know, in the brain um, and ended up, end up with a, a, me, a meningitis. Um, the, there are variable um, uh, degrees of clinical signs, um, and a lot of that depends on when they were exposed in their life, how much bacteria were they exposed to, what was the immune status, you know, the, the immune system's function uh, in the neonate, and is it uh, bacteria, we'll just talk about bacteria, that is, is more virulent. You know, if it's, I like to term the bacteria as wimpy or, um, or really aggressive bacteria. So if it's one that's a little bit wimpier, the foal might not be as evident as to be as sick and everything. So the clinical signs of the septic foals, neonatal foals, typically are, you'll see it in something that's less than 7 to 10 days of age. They can be vague, widely variable, um, very nonspecific to something um, very, very specific. So I'd say early on, and this is when, um, you know, I try and train my interns and I train my clients to notice these things. So just subtle changes in the foal's behavior. You know, they're not suckling. They're just standing there quietly. Um, they may um, have a fever, um, you know, lethargy. So th those those early on signs, um, and then as the the sepsis as things progress, um, you're going to see a foal that could be recumbent, have tachycardic, tachypnic. Uh, as you're doing a physical exam, you're going to notice um, changes in the, the mucous membranes, whether they're bright and injected. You may notice some petechia. You're going to have cold extremities. Um, and ultimately, you know, the reason these foals do um, die is just usually from septic shock. Um, so um, those are, you know, important things to, to think about when you're doing a physical. Now, realizing that there's other diseases in foals that can cause some of these clinical signs. And, you know, that's why anytime you see something like this, you, you need to be you need to pay attention, you know, just because they they are so so susceptible. These foals can go go downhill very very quickly. Um, as for diagnosis, um, truthfully, the quote unquote gold standard um, is being able to identify a bacteria in the blood. That's not real, oftentimes realistic because a not everybody is going to be able to do a blood culture. And B, really, they, you'll get false negative results with that. Um, at least in my practice, I'll have a false negative response because oftentimes my ambulatory veterinarians are really, they'll go ahead and start them on antibiotics, which 
is the most important thing to do. If you have a foal that you are suspicious, could be septic, and even if you're going to send it to a referral practice, don't wait to get antibiotics on board. That's, you know, one of the most important things in human medicine and in, you know, when you're dealing with an equine um, neonate. The other reason that that we may get a false negative blood culture is just because the level of bacteria might not be high enough to identify on on a blood culture. Um, Now, we are looking, and and I've been involved with a a company that's doing more um, looking at the molecular level, so looking at some some, uh, DNA in blood samples to see if maybe, you know, you can pick it up earlier, but from a practicality, you know, it's not as practical either. Um, other things that you'll see, though, would, would be is they oftentimes will have, uh, they'll be leukopenic, so a low white blood cell count, low neutrophil p- portion of the white cells. They can have a, de- a degenerative left shift, toxic changes on their white blood cells. Um, they can have um, an increased fibrinogen. Um, oftentimes, they can have an abnormal glucose level, so they might be um, hypoglycemia, or some of them might be hyperglycemic. Most of them are probably hypoglycemia. Oftentimes you'll see failure of passive transfer. Um, You'll see some type of um, electrolyte abnormalities. Um, You may see an increased lactate value. Um, So those are things that, that you'll see. As for a definitive, you know, being able to put your hands on something and say, this is how I'm going to um, diagnose sepsis. It's more based on your clinical experience. Um, interestingly, interestingly, on the human side of it, they um, and this is something that we've taken from them um, is a sepsis score, where you look at different variables, um, starting from um, his, historical information about the mare's pregnancy, the gestational length of the the foal, um, and then your physical exam findings, and then um, blood parameters, and then you give them a number value. And the higher the number, the more likely that they are septic. Now there has been some controversy of of how well that works. Some people you well you'll you'll have it, it'll be a more sensitive test than than with others. I will say as a clinician. I do all this in my head as I'm looking at the foal. You're, you know, you're going to know if the foals, um, you know, had a difficult birth, if it's premature, if it's has a low white cell count, has a low um, IgG, has a low um, uh, glucose value. The writing is on the wall. It is probably septic. Um, so treatment for these for these little guys, like I said earlier, the most important thing is getting those antibiotics on board as soon as possible. We usually go with broad spectrum antibiotics, um, and and I think it, to you know then people ask, well, what do I use? Do I put a IV catheter in? Do I go with um, potassium penicillin? Um, you know, an aminoglycoside. What do I use? Um, you know, ceftiafur, IV, or you know, in the muscle. What do I do? I think some of it is seeing how s- sick that individual is. If you're suspicious that they might be septic, they're still up nursing. Maybe just a little on the on the lethargic side. Their blood work doesn't look too bad. You know, start with something that's going to be easy to manage you know, at the farm. If they're down and out and not responsive and not being able to get up, then by all means, you know, go a little bit more, you know, aggressive with your treatment. Other important things, treatment is maintaining perfusion. So, you know, sometimes these guys will need some fluids. Um, 
And then another important thing, and I always want to remind my interns of this, um, is nutrition. For any time you have a sick individual, um, especially a, a sick foal, they have very, very minimal reserves. So if they're not nursing, you need to get some type of nutrition into them, whether it's just milking the mare out and passing a, a tube and giving them that way. Um, I guess, you know, bottle feeding, if they have a good suckle reflex and, you know, you feel that, that you can get a bottle into them. So, Dr. Barr, what sort of preventive measures do you recommend? Um, I think, you know, in my mind, I think a lot of it is just kind of common sense. Make sure um, good hygiene, it, it, you know, as a lot of it. You know, you want to prevent the the possibility, you know, of, of the foal getting um, septic. So that would be good hygiene. Make sure the, the falling environment is clean. Make sure the walls are clean. Um, you know, pick up the manure in the stall. Um, also, important things too is when the, once the foal is born, before it gets up and, and suckles and, you know, and nurses, clean the mare's hindquarters off, you know, because you've all seen, we've all seen a, a newborn foal. It's not like they go straight for the, the udder and the teat and nurse, they're usually all over the place. So once again, it just goes to, to good hygiene, um, the environment, you know, and the mare. Make sure that they um, get good quality colostrum. So I think, you know, and this goes into, you know, making sure they get proper um, uh, colostrum and, and would be as checking the mare's colostrum, you know, um, making sure that the foal gets up and nurses and gets the colostrum. But then the other thing is trying to make sure that we've got good quality colostrum. You can look at the colostrum just grossly vis visually, you know, get a little bit in your hand. It should be sticky. It should be thick. It should be yellow in color. Um, another very inexpensive thing that, that you could do is test it on a, a bricks refractometer. Um, and that is, those are pretty easy to buy on online. I don't really think they cost that much. Um, it's a simple, you just drop a colostrum on it, um, and then you just look at it, and it's, um, there's a, you know, a scale, and the, the, then you know you've got some good quality colostrum. If you don't have good quality colostrum, the, the next thing would be is have a source so that you can get some good quality colostrum you know, into the, into that foal. Um, and then just other things is, um, proper umbilical care, even though I said that's not the most common, it is something that, you know, you still need to, to keep in mind. So make sure, you know, to, to dip it either with a, uh, iodine solution, or oftentimes we'll use something like chlorhexidine. Um, and once again, that also goes with make, making sure the foal is in a good, clean, environment. Um, and then uh, I, I guess the other thing too is just being able to differentiate normal versus abnormal foal behavior. When you there's something, you know, that the client thinks is concerning, then call the veterinarian, not wait at, oh, maybe tomorrow the foal will be better because these foals can go downhill pretty quickly. And you had mentioned, and I just wanted to make sure that you had a chance to reiterate this with the veterinarians, is the prevention for this starts back with vaccinating the mare when she's pregnant. Correct, correct. Make sure you get the the all the vaccinations that the, you know that that the mare needs, um, you know, prior to foaling. And I recommend just going on and you know looking at the AAP recommendations. And that's probably that's probably one of the the best guidelines where to start. 
Great. Well, let's move on. And you had mentioned a little bit about failure of passive transfer. Let's talk about that as a problem in the neonate. Right. Yeah. Failure of passive transfer. It you know it is a problem. You know can be a problem in the neonate um, because everybody knows and remembers it because of the how the placenta is in the mare. Um, you know the the fetus does not get any. Um, protection. And so that's why it is so important that they they stand and nurse um, to get antibodies. And also, you know, the colostrum, in addition to have antibodies, it also has uh, lots of good factors that can help with the immune system, you know, and even with the the development of the, you know, the GI tract. So there's a lot of good things in, in colostrum. But yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is, first of all, making sure they're getting good colostrum and then, you know, making sure you're doing a follow-up to check their IgG level. You know, we, we know that that's the one thing that we can measure um, in the blood that we have found that gives us an idea that foals have good passive passive transfer. If they don't um, have a good passive transfer, you know, the value is, is abnormal. And, you know, normally that would be probably less than 800. Although I know there are some some places if the environment's clean and they're in a really, you know, good, good, good farm management, you would probably get by with, with 600. Um, but if you need any type of supplement, um, you know, you can only supplement them with colostrum when they're about up until they're 12 hours of age. And then we usually will just go ahead and give them um, a plasma infusion. And I know that you guys here in central Kentucky keep a bank of colostrum. Um, how can a veterinarian in their own practice maybe have some ready in case they need it? What I would say would be is, in, you know, in their own practice, um, uh, identify farms or farm managers that, you know, would be willing to, you know, get get a group of people together and just say, hey, let's try and bank some colostrum. And whether the veterinarian banks it at their hospital or, the vet, you know, the veterinarian kind of has a list of farms that bank colostrum and would, would be, you know, willing to provide it to you know, to other, to other clients. I guess if push comes to shove, you could probably give some, um, uh, maybe bovine colostrum, but it's just not as good as the, as the real deal, you know, what you're going to get from, you know, from, from the equine species. Good advice. Okay. Let's, let's move on to, uh, what, when I was growing up, we called dummy foals, but it has a lot of names today. Yeah, neonatal. I, I, terminology that I, I use now, now is neonatal encephalopathy. And once again, this is something we've taken from the human side of it. Um, and, and I think part of that, too, is also we realize that... Um, that you know we had initially thought it was all due to hy- and a hypoxic insult. Well, we recognize now that it's not just due to hi- a hypoxic insult. So you know the, the names that we'll call it is neonatal encephalopathy, dummy foal syndrome, and usually when I'm talking to one of the clients, I oftentimes will still refer to it as dummy foal syndrome, um, neonatal maladjustment syndrome. Um, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Those are, in my mind, um, we're talking probably about the, the, the similar disease process. And like I said, we all we and we know part of it is um, due can't be due to hypoxic insult. So that that foal that was born maybe a dystocia wasn't breathing. You know, we know that it had a significant hypoxic insult. But we also recognize now that there is evidence that shows a, a role of of inf- inflammation 
and inflammatory cytokines that can play in it. So this would be your mare that probably has pla- that has placentitis. So what happens is, you know, the mare's inflammatory cytokines are activated, and then, you know, the fetus actually, then there's a fetal inflammatory um, syndrome, and those cytokines are activated. And that can, um, we, we do know that, you know, those cytokines can get into the blood-brain barrier, and they can cause some, some changes, and that's why, you know, you'll see the mare that maybe came in and that the, the foal came in, the foal was compromised, has signs of, of a dummy foal that you start getting the history and the owner's like, no, it was a normal birth, everything seemed fine, but then yet, oh, wait, you know, t- three months ago, this mare had a really high fever and we treated her for a cellulitis. So, you know, so there's where the role of, you know, of inflammation um, came into to play. Um, I, I find these cases very, very interesting, you know, because they can present um, the clinical signs that you'll see. Remember, involving the central nervous system, they can, they can present lots of different ways. You, you know, you can have ones that are just, they're not nursing. You know, they're bright as a button. They're walking around the stall. Everything seems fine. They actually may even have a suckle, but they're not suckling on the appropriate source. Um, And, you know, you can have that to the one that is kind of circling, wandering around the stall, um, abnormal vocalization, the Barker foal syndrome. That's what they used to call it a long time ago. In my 18 years of experience, I've actually only witnessed one Barker foal, something you'll never forget when when you see it and you hear it. Um, and, you know, to the point where they're recumbent um, and having pretty um, uh, uh, significant seizure activity. So they can present in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, these clinical signs are usually seen um, within, usually uh, within a couple of days. So once again, your foal that was a dystocia, we know probably had a hypoxic insult um, and I always will tell my clients, well, the further out we get without seeing any um, central nervous system signs, you know, the less likely it's, it's going to, you know, going to occur. Um, also, we, we do recognize that even though, you know, we always talk about and always think about the central nervous system, there are other organ systems that can be affected. Um, and the, the two other ones are the kidneys and then the gastrointestinal tract. Um, the signs that you'll see when you know you have kidney involvement is sometimes the the foal um, might not urinate um, right away. Um, you'll see some abnormal blood work. You'll see um, an uh, increase in the, in the creatinine value. Um, and and some some foals can be born with an increased creatinine, but it's just kind of mild increased. The, these 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 ones that we think that they're you know that the the kidney was infected by. By this disease process, oftentimes those are, are high, and it takes them a while to, to return to normal. Um, and then the second, the, the third, excuse me, body system that can uh, be uh, affected is the gastrointestinal tract. Um, and, and interestingly, oftentimes um, the gastrointestinal signs will lag behind the central nervous system signs. Um, and and the, the, gastro, the signs that we'll see when there's gastrointestinal system involvement will be is um, sometimes foals will um, just a, a you know a little bit of an enteritis to you know they'll be refluxing um, sometimes they'll have diarrhea um, so you know just gastrointestinal you know signs 
And usually how we would manage those foals is oftentimes you just kind of have to back off on feeding them, support them, you know, with intravenous fluids and intravenous nutrition and, you know, just kind of symptomatic treatment. So Dr. Barr, let's talk a little bit about treatment of these foals. So treatment of these foals that have, you know, neonatal encephalopathy, a lot of it is just supportive treatment. Um, you know, if it's that foal that's kind of what I call uh, mildly um, affected, so it's not, not nursing, you know, wandering around, maybe suckling on everything but, you know, but, but the, the, the bag, um, then those foals, you know, the, the thing would be is just to put a feeding tube in them or provide them with, you know, some, some sorts of nutrition. Um, and then, um, you know, just try and encourage them to nurse. But it seems like in, in my experience, those foals just, um, you know, take, it just takes time and patience, basically. I would say those foals also are ones um, that need, usually you're going to need to definitely make sure they, um, their IgG is fine so that they have adequate passive transfer, um, address that if need be. And then I would also put those foals on some type of systemic antibiotics um, just because, you know, we, they're compromised. Um, I know a lot of, of, at least in central Kentucky here, we use a lot of what people call a dummy cocktail. Um, I do know in other parts of the country that's probably less likely that that occurs. Um, And what that is is it's some type of mixture uh, and we usually we put it in a liter of fluids of something like with some DMSO, um, maybe some thiamine, um, vitamin C. So what your um, the idea is to decrease inflammation, um, uh, oxygen, you know, radical scavengers, um, something that's neuroprotective for the brain, um, you know, th- those types of things. My personal experiences really those don't that's not a silver bullet, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's not something that needs to be done. Um, although a lot of people do it and I, you know, I don't think it hurts. There's, there's not a lot of evidence and a lot, a lot of research, um, supporting it. Um, but that some people, you know, will, will definitely do that. Um, for those foals that are, are, um, uh, really, really, um, sick and seizures, having seizures and everything, the best thing that you can do is, you know, refer them to uh, uh, equine hospital so, so they can get the supportive care that they need. I will say, though, that if you are, you do encounter a foal that is having seizure-type activity, give it some, an anti-seizure medication. Give it, pheno, or, I mean, sorry, give it Valium. Um, so, you know, just um, uh, a dose of Valium before you, you know, you load it up and send it. Um, talk to the internist or whoever you're going to be sending it to and, you know, see what they recommend. But the the sooner you can quiet down that seizure activity, the the, the better it is, you know, for the, the for the fall. Um, you know, the, the things that we would do with the really um, significant cases or the severe cases would be as, you know, control the seizures, um, just make sure we're maintaining perfusion, make sure their metabolic status is okay, make sure their kidney functions okay. You know, we'll be feeding them um, either, um, you know, oral nutrition or um, IV, some type of IV nutrition and just proper nursing care. Um, And I will say that um, the prognosis for these foals is good. You know, I mean, I'd say probably 80% 
um, at least in our hospital, can can leave the, the you know, the, that are discharged. And there was a, a nice retrospective study done maybe three, four years ago, um, and, th- you know, they had similar numbers as to ours. Um, so, you know, as long as they don't end up with any secondary problems, then, you know, they, they oftentimes um, will do fine. Um, you know, as for prevention of, of this, this problem, um, I think one thing would be is, especially, um, you know, if you recognize that a mare has placentitis, um, then going ahead and getting treatment into her, you know, to, to, to treating her properly. I know the, the, the problem is we're not as, wish we were a little better at identifying placentitis than, than we are. Um, you know, if a mare has had some type of systemic illness during her pregnancy, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're ready that, you know, that foal could have some, you know, have some problems. Um, okay, well, let's, um, you've mentioned the, uh, GI tract a couple of times. Let's talk about something that seems a little more simple, meconium impaction. Right. Yeah. Meconium impactions. Those are the, the, uh, uh, the number one cause of colic in a, in a young foal is a meconium impaction, meconium retention. Um, you know, meconium's the first feces that the foal, foal produces. And usually within about, you know, a couple hours, they're going to start passing their meconium. Um, you know, and if they haven't, um, within, you know, when they're about 12 hours of age and they're straining and, you know, um, tail flagging, then, you know, you you have a foal that probably has some, you know, meconium retention, possibly impaction. Um, I think, you know, uh, training your um, farm managers and your owners to recognize and realize that the foal needs to pass meconium. I know a lot of people will also um, just initially administer enemas, um, and that's fine. Um, I will caution, though, that you have to watch with the fleet enemas. People like to, to do that. You know, one is okay, but you don't want to do more than one fleet enema because um, the phosphorus level in it can be um, fatal, you know, to a, to a foal. Um, so um, anyways, but, you know, um, the signs of, of an impaction are, you know, history of not passing feces or not passing meconium. Um, honestly, I have had some foals that, that I've dealt with that have a meconium impaction that have passed Meconium, they just haven't passed at all, and so they'll end up getting an, an impaction. So you know you'll see frequent posturing to defecate, um, restlessness, tail flagging, what we'll call it. Um, maybe ch- oftentimes changes in nursing behavior. They won't nurse. They'll think I got a nurse. They'll go up there. They'll bang their head at the bag, but not nurse. And then they'll come back and they'll have all this milk all over their face, but they haven't nursed. Um, and then ultimately, as things kind of start to really back up, then you're going to have a fold that's going to get distended and it's going to get you know show co- signs of colic and everything. Um, identification or diagnosing a meconium impaction, um, history, you know, knowing whether it did pass some feces, um, doing a, a digital rectal exam. Sometimes if it's right in, in the pelvic inlet, you can, you can, you can pal- palpate it, feel it. Um, some people are good enough with abdominal palpation that they may be able to feel it. I think everyone now 
has an ultrasound, or most people have an ultrasound, and it's a pretty simple thing to identify on an ultrasound. You can see, um, you know, meconium in, in the small colon. Um, years ago, before we used to have the portable ultrasounds that we could, you know, take to, to at least, you know, here in the practice to every barn, we would do contrast radiography. We would give them a barium enema and take a radiograph, and you could see the nice little meconium balls, um, you know. But nowadays, you know, it's just more just with an ultrasound. Um, treatment um, for these um, foals that have meconium impaction or retention, um, most of them are, are managed medically. Um, I can think of a few, and that's probably less than five, that have ever had to go to surgery um, to be repaired. And I think that's just because oftentimes it's things just get so backed up, they get just so distended, you know, and they're so colicky, and so, you know, you, you need to go to surgery. But like I said, that rarely, rarely, rarely ever happens. Um, it's go ahead and give them another enema. I'll, I'll often recommend a soapy water enema. We'll start with that. Um, the other type of enema that we have found that works really well is an acetylcysteine retention enema. Um, which the you know acetylcysteine they, they use it in the, the on the human side the acetylcysteine can break down some of the the um, the disulfide bonds in, in the meconium and also just kind of change the viscosity so they'll, they'll be able to you know to pass it um, I think other important things for treatment is managing pain um, also you know I, I will at least in my hands I'll kind of let back off on letting them consume a large quantity of milk. Um, so if, you know, if you need to, sometimes we'll completely take them off nursing, but you have to provide them with some type of fluids and some type of, you know, nutrition. Um, so, and, and like I said, most of those foals recover, recover without having to go to surgery. Some of them take multiple enemas, um, but, you know, I oftentimes will give a soapy water enema, then an acetylcysteine retention enema. And the key with the retention enema is it needs to, you know, be retained for, for a little while. But that's easy enough to do with a, you know, a Foley catheter, blow up the balloon, give your enema, and then just kind of clamp the Foley catheter off for a little while and try and get 20 to you know, 30, 35 minutes. Realistically, usually we get 15 to 20. Um, but, um, and then if I have to go back to another one, I'll do another soapy water and just kind of go back and forth. You know, um, you have to watch those. Sometimes you give them too many enemas, their little rectums can get a little irritated. And then sometimes then they can strain and everything. If you get a little irritated rectum, oftentimes we'll just put a little preparation H on and that, that will help. Well, good advice. Well, Dr. Barr, thank you very much for taking some time today to talk to us about common neonatal problems. And this has been Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement, for our Disease Du Jour podcast. Please join us again. Thank you.